feel like I'm a announcer for wrestling. And now, in this corner, <laughs> is Gerardo Casarella. Did you like wrestling when you were a child? In that corner, yes. Was there Italian wrestling? Bruno Sammartino. Was there like an Italian WWE? Yeah. I used to watch it, actually. Yeah? Bruno Sammartino, Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant. Well, we liked Bruno because he was Italian. So, obviously, he was like one of the famous stars. He was like one of the most popular ones. Hello, and welcome to Paramore, a podcast about life and immigrating from Italy. My name is Dan Casarella, but the real star of this show is my father, Jerry Casarella. Paramore is a show about the immigrant experience. It's about my father's life growing up in a very small, poor rural town called Bisaccia in 1960s Italy, and his experience immigrating from Italy to America in 1972, and the cultural shock that was. On today's second episode in our four-part series, Growing Up and Childhood in Bisaccia, Italy. Despite Bisaccia being my father's hometown, I've only been there twice, and that was as a five-year-old and a nine-year-old, which is a pretty strange family vacation. It's not that I'm not grateful for it. I'm very happy I got to experience Europe at a young age. It's just wasn't really a time for me to be culturally appreciative. I was more interested in collecting the Star Wars cards at the arcade than really, you know, being in the ruins of Pompeii or going to the Roman Colosseum. But again, I was nine years old. But there is an irony in me going to Bisaccia as a young child, because that's when it was my father's home. He grew up there until he was 12 years old. And growing up in Bisaccia is much more different than growing up in any other part of America. And it's an upbringing that was truly unlike any other. Don't let the casual way he talks about getting shot at or getting drunk as a child make you think any differently. This is a truly unique experience. So on today's episode of Paramore, I sit down with my father, Gerardo, and we talk about all the cycles of life, birth, love, death, and his experience growing up in Bisaccia, Italy. Here's Jerry. What was your parents' wedding like? I think a lot of people think Italian weddings are like the, I keep doing movie references today, but the opening scene of The Godfather where there's all a lot of singing and a big dance floor and tons and tons of people. The whole community is involved. Was was your parents' wedding a big occasion? Was it small? I wasn't there. Well, I, yeah. <laughs> but I could recall other weddings when I was little that I went to, and I'm sure it's similar, where you would have the ceremony in the church, and then after the church, you would have a procession. So you basically invite, everybody in the town is invited mm-hmm. to your to your wedding. Whoever can come, comes. They go to the church, and then after the church, you have a little procession where, kind of like a second line in New Orleans, mm-hmm. where you basically, from the church, you walk back down to your house, and everybody kind of follows and gives you congratulations. And then... You have a little hall in a town back then, and you would basically, again, invite everybody, and you would just have a big big feast, eat, drink. Very, very casual. There was no DJ, nothing like that. You just basically got together with everybody and celebrate it, cut the cake, and those kind of things. I, I can't stop thinking about the differences in, in Italy versus 
America growing up. And one of the big things is the difference in childbirth. Because in America, you know, there's hospitals and candy-striped nurses, and there's all those imageries. But as you were saying before, in Italy, especially in a small town like Passaccia, a doctor wasn't coming that frequently. They made trips. So what was childbirth like at that time? And, And if you have any specifics from your own experience. So everybody gave birth in their in their homes mm-hmm. with, what are they called? Midwife? Uh, midwives. Mm-hmm. Again, there was no doctor, so I don't think you went for checkups or things like that. So basically just hoped everything went well. And then I remember when I was little, Uncle Danny, when he was born. Your brother, who's about four years younger than you. Yeah. So I got kicked out of the house. Said, <laughs> go Go for a walk. And then I remember my grandmother came, and then the midwife came, and basically Nana gave birth to Danny in our in our house. They told you to go for a walk? How long were you walking for? Uh, a few hours. <laughs> did, we, did they tell you how long to go? No, that's, you know, they just say, get out of here, go for a walk. You know, that back then, we didn't tell them where we're going. It's, you know, it's a small town, so they want to find you. They just yell, yell out in the street. <laughs> And then sooner or later, word gets to you that you, your father calling you, you better get home. <laughs> you, we were talking about a little bit earlier, were a skinny child and a little undersized. And isn't that where your name came from, Gerardo? Yeah. So speaking of pregnancy, I was a pain in the butt from the beginning. <laughs> so I think Nanda must have had difficulty with her pregnancy with me because St. Gerardo is the saint of the weekly and is the... Kind of the. This is the patron saint of pregnant women? Pregnant women and also for weaklings. Mm-hmm. And St. Gerardo was a big saint in the area. There was a big mo- monastery there that they used to do pilgrimage at least once a year. So she must have gone and prayed to him that everything will be okay. I don't know what the implications were. And then when I was born, I think Nanda told me that I, w- I wouldn't tolerate regular milk. So they had to get special donkey milk for me and they had to go and get it from different towns. and. I think you once told me that you were eating steak because you were so small and the rest of the family had to eat other things, right? When I look at pictures, I was like, I guess, really skinny and underweight. Mm-hmm. And they thought I had some kind of, you know, deficiency. So at least once a couple of times a week, they got steak for me. I had steak. Everybody else had their normal pasta. <laughs> and then at some point I got shots of, I don't know what it was. It was vitamins or whatever it was, so. Do you remember feeling ever out of shape or breath or, or small, or are you just a tinier kid? No. You know, when I was little, I, I don't remember being sick or feeling weak, except the other problem I had is my sight wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. Basically, one eye, I can't see. The other one is like 2,200. So, obviously, I was like that until probably eight years old. Mm-hmm. when they first took me to a doctor and the doctor said, oh, you can't see from that one eye. So when it came like to playing soccer with my friends, I was always the worst one. Yeah. And obviously, you know, if you can't see the ball, you can't be, can't be very good. I always think like, I, I'm like you as a child, I have terrible eyesight, not nearly as bad, but I think like, how did I function those first five years? Like when I was a kid, like how did I see I can't see now when I get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night without glasses. I don't know how I could have lived for a couple of years with that poor vision. I'm trying to think back now. I mean, I went to school. I was able to write. So I was putting probably the 
the books and the paper close to my eyes to uh-huh. be able to see. So as long as I did that, I was able I was able to function. But as far as going outside and playing and all that stuff, you know, it was kind of normal. When you don't know, when you don't know, you think that's everybody sees that way. What was school like when you were talking about how your parents only had to go to school up to fifth grade? What was your experience in schooling? Usually the routine was we got up, I guess maybe seven or eight. We would have breakfast. Breakfast was milk and bread and sugar. So you would dip the bread in the milk and sugar? Not you would cut up the bread, put it in a bowl, pour milk over it, and sprinkle sugar on it. Oh. So bread was like the cereal. Like, yeah. So we would have that. Sometimes we would have a raw egg, too. So you just poke a hole in the egg, and you just suck that down. Why well, like that? Egg is good for you. No, Protein. no, I get that, but you wouldn't just break the egg? I don't know why. They just. I guess it's easier that way, right? Well, it's you easier just, to clean up. but I, Plus, when you, it's like drinking it through a straw, so you don't get as much of the yolk and egg at once. And okay. then if you're, for a real treat, what they used to do is a couple eggs in a glass. They would um, stir it, put sugar, and then a little bit of marsala. So that's sometimes we save that for breakfast too. Anyway, and that was the treat. Yeah, we still right. that. But think about it from a nutrition perspective, right? A lot of protein. Eggs, you get a lot of protein, a lot of nutrients. They're also not cooked. Well, but you know, it was all natural stuff, so you didn't have that's to true. worry about sick. And then we had had to wear uniforms to school, which mm-hmm. was basically a little coat, if you will. Like a girls had white, boys had blue. We had a red red bow. Mm-hmm. And they had a a pink bow or whatever. And we just used to just walk. School was a couple of blocks down. And then everybody would be in the same classroom. So you were assigned one teacher that would basically stay with you the whole time. And then he would teach you math, English, geography, history. The boys and girls in the same class? No, all separate. Okay. Girls had their class. We had our class. I guess they would let you out for run around for a little bit. And then we used to end school around one o'clock. Then one o'clock, you would go home, and then you would have your meal with your family. Mm-hmm. And then in the afternoon, when you were little, you had to take a nap, and then you go to the farm or play around in the afternoon. Did you learn about World War Two and World War One when you were in school? Was it was there like a history when you were going into school, or was it focused on your own personal ability, reading and writing and math? I didn't learn much. I learned a lot of geography. Okay. And I learned a lot of Greek and Roman history. And I think that's probably because the progression they had there is you you start from older times and then the newer times you learn in the older grade. And since I only completed sixth grade there, I think we didn't cover World War One or Two that Mm -hmm. I remember. But it was mostly focused on Roman and Greek history. But I did... Yeah, my first book was a book of World War One mm-hmm. that I got for free because they asked me to help out at what was then called a library. <laughs> but it was basically one room in our elementary school mm-hmm. that they decided to set aside. I had a couple of shelves to put books in there, and people would, would come in and, and read them. And then at the end of like six months there, the guy in charge gave me this I still have it, a book about World War One. So I read that. I think he gave me a couple of choices, and I picked that one. I don't remember. Probably maybe because, you know, my grandfather fought in World War One, so mm-hmm. maybe I wanted to learn a little bit more. But I wish 
My grandfather never talked about the war. He was 19 when he got drafted. And I only know this from the paper, his discharge paper that I found. And also that he was what was called the cavalry. Mm-hmm. But basically what that was is the the horses and the mules that they used to carry the cannons and munitions and food to the front lines. So he must have he must have done that. Imagine nineteen being thrown into World War One. I. I wish I had the opportunity to ask my grandfather what it was like, you know, to fight in the war. Tio Michele was older, so I think he was in World War Two. Mm-hmm. So he talked a little bit about being in war, and he was in charge. He was a mechanic, so he was in charge of fixing machines and things like that. Was was there any? Were the teachers strict? Yes, they're very strict. I think that was one of the requirements yet to be a teacher. <laughs> the teacher I had, I remember, I think if I remember the name, was Franco Arminio. Mm-hmm. I think he was one of the nicer teachers, because I hear horror stories about, you know, teachers being strict. Mm-hmm. Nana tells a story when he was going to school. Either he didn't show up one day, or he skipped school, or he didn't do his homework. And what they would do to punish you, they would put corn on the ground, raw corn, and they would make you kneel on there. Like a chicken? No, you put your, your, when you kneel on the corn, it's very painful. Oh, like the kettles. Yeah, yeah, yes. Oh, and yikes. Yeah. Isn't that a waste of corn? Uh, corn was easy to come by. There's a lot of corn that was grown there, so they used corn to feed the pigs, make polenta, that kind of stuff. This is such an unusual... I wonder who thought of that. Your older brother, Sal, was a bit of a troublemaker. Did Were his teachers strict? Did he have stories? Sal was a few years older, so when I was little, I don't remember him going to school. I'm sure he did. But when he, he was maybe 12, he got in with these friends, and they were big, going out and smoking. Just like the time when you guys stole firewood. No, that was, that was nothing. That was basically, we had what? to make a bonfire for St. Joseph every year. Every neighborhood, basically, would create their own bonfire. So mm-hmm. ours was... You know, those steps that were, that were going up, we would gather fire and then we would get together at night. And so the story I, I told you several times that I got shot at, <laughs> I think I got in trouble because, first of all, we skipped school to go and gather firewood for the bonfire. And then we went into people's property and took branches and trees that, that they had. And then we... We're walking back, and we hear these gunshots. Oh, they're shouting at us. They're shouting at us. And, but. I still feel like you tell that story very casually. That's me, Mr. Casual. I guess so. What did you play with when you were a kid? Did you have, like, toys? It's such a small town. I'm sure there wasn't a, a toy store. Nope, no toys. So what did we do? We used to play just, like, street games where we would make up games. Like, you would jump over people. Like you put, like, two or three people and then try to jump over them, every one of them. We would play this stupid game where either cards or coins, you would throw them against the wall. And the one that got closest to the wall, you would get to keep that, the money. And then cowboys and Indians and the kind of stuff when we had we saw in the movies, we would kind of... Just fantasy kind of stuff, but basically just run around the street. No dolls, no stuffed animals? No, no. I remember my first toy I got was a little gun that it was all metal, and then it made noise, like sparkles, basically. Mm -hmm. 
How old were you when you got that? Got that for La Bifana. Must have been maybe I don't know six or eight, six or eight. The the Feast of Epiphany is interesting. Could you explain like what that is in in Italian culture and the relevancy? Yeah, so there was no gifts at Christmas. Christmas was purely celebration of the birth of Jesus. You went to church. You had big big meals, and then actually New Year's was also a big holiday. Mm-hmm. So we celebrated that too, getting together with family, and then Bifana was when. Kids got gifts because the story is the three kings were on their way to Jesus, and they they came across this old lady, and she said, where are you going? We're going to see baby Jesus. Do you want to come with us? She said, no. And then she realized that they were going to see Jesus, and then she went after them and never found them. So it's kind of how the tradition started, but it's basically when the three kings brought the gifts to Jesus. So that was the day that... You give gifts to the kids. Yeah, Three Kings Day, Epiphany. How did you come across the gifts? Christmas, you wake up, there's gifts under the Christmas tree. How were the gifts presented to you guys? Socks. 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 And all year they would tell you, you know, be nice, because if you're not nice, Lepifana is going to bring you coals. Uh-huh. So if you were bad, you would get a socks full of, like, onions or garlic or a piece of coal. If you were good, you would get gifts. Did that actually happen, the, the onions and the coals? Because that seems like an empty threat in America. I think one year Uncle Sal got a piece of coal. Really? And that was it? <laughs> and I don't, I don't remember. I remember we were fighting, so you better be nice, otherwise Bifana's going to bring you coal. Uh-huh. But I don't, I, don't, I don't know. What else were in the stockings besides toys? That was it. Maybe like one toy. Can, candy? Candy. Yeah. Know, maybe some candy. In America, and probably a lot of places, birthdays are such a big deal. Were birthdays big? In Italy, because we were going through the major holidays, in your family, it would be Christmas, and then your birthday, and then New Year's, and then the Feast of the Epiphany, because your birthday is December 28th. Were birthdays in general a day of celebration, and what did it look like for you? No, not even a blimp. Not, not even, even a, like, no, but acknowledgement of today's your birthday? No, but we had something equivalent, which was called Onomastico, which is your name day. Okay. So basically, when it's St. Gerardo Day, you would get a little celebration. And when is St. Gerardo Day? October 16th. Much better date than being in between Christmas and New Year's. But again, you weren't, not like you would have a, a party or you would have a cake, you know, people just wish you, you know, happy St. Gerardo Day. You know, maybe once in a while, you you know, get together and have a cake just to, but that was, birthdays were not non-existent. But they were replaced by your name day. New Year's in Italy is also interesting because it's when they throw plates out of the window, right? Yeah, that, we didn't we didn't do a lot of that. It's more like in Naples they have a tradition of the whole out with the old, in with the new. So you would just try to get rid of all your old stuff and break dishes. Dishes seem I had to feel like that's a waste of money. Well, we were too poor for that stuff, so nobody in Bisaccio is going to have add extra dishes to to throw away. So. It didn't happen in Bisaccia, but I think in Naples there's a big tradition, at least a couple of pieces. You were saying you, you used to play soccer blind before you got glasses. Was soccer the big sport amongst the kids? Yeah, as far as playing. Yeah, recreation. Yeah, but there was nothing organized when I was there. Now they have like clubs and kind of similar to here, 
But back then, it was just you got together. And the problem was getting soccer ball. Nobody mm-hmm. had a soccer ball. So Nana, remember, Nana used to tell me he, they actually used to make their own soccer balls with, I forgot what they use now. Basically, they stuff something with paper, mm-hmm. and then they would just kick it around. And then the only other balls we had were those like light balls. Mm-hmm. You know, just you kick them like they'll go up in the air. But I remember Uncle Sal, he wanted to be a goalkeeper. Uh-huh. So we used to practice in the steps from our, going down from my house. There was a you know step that was high, kind of acted as a goal, so the, the ball would wouldn't go away. And and I used to I used to shoot balls, and Uncle Sal used to dive on the concrete. Oh so, no! Did he get all <laughs> scraped up? Ah, he was yeah, just clothes on. He was fine. <laughs> What was your, your house like? It wasn't a house that everybody had their own bedroom when there was four kids. You know, growing up, I don't remember being crowded or being a problem. I think when you were little, you always imagined things would be much bigger than you are. But we had four, six, seven people living in a very small space. So my grandfather had its own room, kind mm-hmm. of. He had, his, he had his own bed. In that room, there was a cot where... Uncle Sal used to sleep. And then in, in that room, there was also the granary where we would keep the, the wheat and the flour. Mm-hmm. So it was all in that one room. And then I think until we were little, me, I think all three of us slept in the same bedroom as Nonna and Nonna. They mm-hmm. would have a big bed. And then I think I remember a crib and maybe another cot in there. So we were in there. And then the other room was kitchen and a, a space for a table. And we had a, a, a small bathroom as well. And it never got on each other's nerves or anything? No, none that I remember. Because you would just sleep there. The rest of the time, you'd be outside. Stuff or at the farm. Do you remember your friends? Who was your best friend? Yeah, so my best friend was a guy named Tonino. Mm-hmm. He was maybe a year younger than me. I don't know. We didn't go to school together, but he lived just a couple of houses down. So we would always hang out together. And that we must have been eight or ten. We decided to go to his house and play cards one afternoon. And we played a card game where if you lose, you have to drink wine. So just like everybody else, they had a cask of wine. And it was like those old white plastic pictures so we mm-hmm. we go there we must have played all afternoon and obviously both of us got drunk i remember playing the game and i remember going back home in the bathroom and then the next thing i remember was like two o'clock in the morning waking up in the crib and so i must i guess i must have passed down i don't know what none and none i thought happened to me but of course i didn't get in trouble for that what a childhood mentality that, like, the loser has to drink wine. I feel like that's what winners do now in drinking games. Even the adults play that game. It was just a game called butta, which is, means tap. Mm-hmm. The object in the game is basically to gang up and get somebody really, really drunk. Sure, still do that. So that was the objective. What did, what did adults do for fun? What was, like, the bars and the restaurants like? So the ladies just kind of got together on their own, just, like, outside and just chatted and they knitted. The men, they would go to the bars, and every every kind of neighborhood had its own cafe, if you will. Cafe was a combination of place to play cards, drink, and just hang out, have coffee. 
that was basically entertainment. And then at some point, the movie theater opened, and then everybody used to go to the movies. I think they had movies on Saturday and Sunday, just on the weekend. What was it like being a, a, an older brother to a sister that was two years younger than you and a brother that was four years younger than you as you were growing up in Italy? We were, I think we're kind of in our own little worlds. Uncle Sal was three years older, so he had his own set of friends. We played together, but we had different different friends. And then my sister, being a girl, she had her own sets of friends. And then Uncle Danny was much younger than I was, so he had his own set of friends. So we kind of had our own little mini-worlds, if you will. So one of the things that I also remember, my grandfather, when he was older and he had stopped working, he, he was asked by one of the shop owners in, in Bisaccia to tend his garden. Mm-hmm. The shop owner had a little, a little land, and my grandfather was in charge of growing fruits and vegetables there. So one of my fondest memories was when he would go in the morning and mess around there, water the plants, and then usually after my nap, he took me there. Mm-hmm. So I used to like going there with him and helping him out. And that, I remember hanging, you know, hanging out with my relatives more than other kids, like going to my uncle's blacksmith and just watching what he was doing and mm-hmm. hanging around there. So that would keep us kind of entertained too, just visiting cousins and you know uncles. So Jimmy Keller was a blacksmith, mm-hmm. and and Tonino helped him out. Donato was also a plumber, so they would do they would do plumbing work as well as blacksmith. Growing up, what did you want to do? Because you know beforehand, you, it seemed very generational. You stayed in family businesses. Your father was a mason. Your mother came from a farming family. Was that what you projected for yourself, or what, what did you aspire to be when you were a kid? You know, I don't remember. <laughs> I'm trying to think back now. Obviously, everybody wants the other wants to be a soccer player, mm-hmm. so you fantasize about that. And going to school, I liked reading, I liked books, even though we didn't have that many books. So I guess I always thought I would end up being a professor or a teacher. And you are? Yeah, but I never really thought about it, and... I don't think that's something that when you grow up, at least in my era, you think about what you want to be when you grow up because you don't really have a choice. When I was growing up, more and more kids were continuing to go to school and universities and becoming engineers, doctors, lawyers. Mm-hmm. But you didn't, you didn't get to that until probably after, during high school. So mm-hmm. when I was there... I was there through 12 years old, so which would be like 6th, 7th grade. I didn't really have any specific aspiration to be this or that. It was just kind of accepted you would get work and make money when the time came. Yeah. Not to a specific career. Yeah. And I remember I was not pushed, but I was always encouraged to do well in school, Mm -hmm. especially my my cousin Donato, Giovincenzo's son. He was really the first one that went on to to go to the university in, in Italy. So he would look after me as far as doing well in school and a- asking about school. So whereas Uncle Sal always had track of doing a trade, I think typically what happens there, your the oldest son follows in his father's footstep. Mm-hmm. So I think the plan was for Uncle Sal to be a mason. Mm-hmm. He didn't like 
working with Nunno. <laughs> just like, not Nunno, but Nunno's older brother didn't like working with his father. Mm-hmm. At some point, I think Uncle Sal said, I don't want to do this anymore. And Nunno was always very receptive to us doing whatever we wanted. So I said, okay, fine, what do you want to do? And they had an electrician school there. Mm-hmm. So they enrolled after Sal finished middle school, eighth grade, they enrolled him into a trade school to learn electrician. Mm -hmm. He's been doing that ever since. It's funny because you were talking about that, but when you got to America years later, you you wanted to be an astronaut and you wanted to be a park ranger. There seemed like there was more aspirations to be had. Yeah. When you grow up in those poor towns, especially when you're you're small, first of all, you're not exposed to a lot of these things. I mean, Mm -hmm. we saw the the moon landing and that kind of stuff. But you're not exposed to all these things. And the mentality of just getting by and farming and all that, you just assume it's a natural progression. So you don't really think about these kind of aspirations. And you don't really see how the world is evolving until you can look back upon it. Yeah, I mean, we had movies, you know, we had a little bit of television. Did you have a television in your house or who had the television? We were the first house in the block to have a television. Really? Why was that a priority for your parents? It was a big event. I don't know. I guess they thought it was good to have a television. How do they buy it? No, no, you still work in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. So when you work in Switzerland, you make pretty good money relative to what you, we could afford in Italy. So a lot of people work in Switzerland, and then they use that money to buy like a motorcycle or uh, a TV. So our TV we had was black and white, and when we first got it, programming was on from 5 to 9. 5 to 6 was kids' show, and then it was the news, and then it would be like a music show, and then maybe a movie, and that was it. Did you ever travel when you were a kid? Did you ever go, aside from Basaccia and Guardia, even to Rome, even you know any, anywhere else that was traveling for leisure? It wasn't common at all back then. For example, I think Nonna Nonna never, well, Nonna did the military service. He went to Palermo, but Nonna never left Guardia or the area. I got to go, I remember one school trip, I went to Rome. How old were you? The last one, I think it was, I was 11. I remember that. It's kind of a sad ending, but the priest organized it mm-hmm. and you had to pay. I don't know how much it was, but, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. So for my parents to pay for me to go was a big deal. Mm-hmm. So it was basically one, they got kids from the town and the priest, I guess we took the bus. And I remember we stayed someplace, must have been like a bed and breakfast or a little motel. But I remember the priest every morning, he would do mass. Mm-hmm. So there was a room in the hotel where we would go every morning and he would do mass. Was that just for you guys or was it open to the public? Just for us, yeah. And then I'm assuming we went to see the Coliseum, St. Peter, and it was, I think, it was, I think two, twice we did that, that trip. And the last time, we, because I remember how old I was, I remember coming back at night with the bus, maybe like nine o'clock at night, and instead of my parents meeting us the bus, my neighbor. <coughs> Sorry. 
downstairs neighbor came down. So <clears throat> she came to meet me and, you know, first saw her, you know, kind of said, what's going on here? And then it turns out my grandfather had passed away. So that was um, a sad ending to that trip. We, we were talking about, as you tell that story, it, we talked about birth, weddings. What was uh, a funeral service like in Basacha? Yeah, well, I guess the one I, I remember most vividly was when my grandfather passed away. And obviously, I was in the house. You know, the body stays in the house. He stayed in his room, you know, that night, and I think the next day. And then people come and pay their respect there. Mm -hmm. Kind of like a wake. So I remember a stream of people coming and going, you know, that that evening and then all all the next day. And then obviously, people come, you feed them, you kind of have a past, but you have your own your own stuff and obviously you have you have the mass and the funeral I don't remember um, if I actually went to the funeral or the cemetery I don't remember if they took the kids but then you would take the casket to the cemetery did you stay in the house when your father your grandfather's body was still there did you sleep there or did you stay with a neighbor or relative no we stayed we stayed there did Sal stay in the room I think we were all there yeah, all but the kids. he slept in your grandfather's room no, oh, I think by then we had we actually had we had this bookcase that turned into a bed. So, and you know we make we made do. And one of the other big feasts is All Souls Day, and it, this sounds kind of morbid, but that was one of our favorite holidays too, because basically what you would do is you would go to cemetery and visit all your relatives that passed away, and. It's kind of, it, the cemeteries there is kind of like New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Everybody had a long little plot, and then it was very peaceful, and you just walk around, and you kind of go from seeing all your old relatives. So those, for some reason, is fun memories. Of that's, that. that's nice. Yeah. It, it's a time to have reflection and introspection. I don't think we always get to do that in life. And I don't remember it being a sad day, you know, which maybe that's why it was pleasant memory. It was always a very happy day. Uh-huh. Because... Maybe because we didn't have school. <laughs> and you go do like a little trip to the cemetery, walk around, and it was nice. Next week, Jerry talks about how he learned that his family was moving to Italy, how they chose their new home, and how he became the eldest of the household when his parents and older brother immigrated a few months before him and his younger siblings. That's next week on Paramore. Paramore is a production of WeWo Media and is hosted and produced by me, Dan Casarella. As I interview my father, Jerry Casarella. It is mixed and engineered by our producer, Jay Katz. Aaron Bradley is our art director. The opening and closing theme is Too Young to Know by Palmaria. You can follow them on Spotify and Bandcamp. Be sure to keep up with Paramore and other Out of Love projects by following us on Instagram at Out of Love Show. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Stay lovely. <laughs>